What is up, y'all? Kevin Kuhn here from Athlete Factors. This is the Athlete Factors podcast. My guest today is Kristen Fant. She's a dietitian and nutritionist. How are you doing today? I'm great. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you. So really excited to have this conversation with you today. Um, I think based off some of uh, your social media posts that um, we agree on a heck of a lot, which <laughs> which I'm excited about, but I'm also, um, I understand where my lane ends. And I, I, from a kinesiology and sport performance standpoint, I feel like I have a pretty good handle of nutrition, but I'm definitely not a dietitian. So I would love to learn a little bit from you today. So if you will, please tell us a little bit about yourself, um, your personal background, um, background in athletics and academics and all that. Sure. Um, <clears throat> so I'm Kristen. Um, I am a registered dietitian practicing in the Dallas, Texas area. Um, I'm a runner and um, I actually uh did not used to be a dietitian. I have an undergrad degree for, um, from the University of Oklahoma in international studies, and um, I went into nonprofit management after college. So, um, did a career switch after a few years. I got kind of tired of um, not really having like any tangible skills to help people with, um, and I had become really interested in running and fitness, um, and so that kind of led me to. Um, a degree in nutrition. So I have a master's in clinical nutrition from UT Southwestern here in Dallas. And um, I currently uh, both work at a hospital in a clinical role. And then I also have my own practice that is focused on performance nutrition for runners and triathletes. Um, athletically speaking, uh, I was not a very athletic child. So I did one year of cross country in middle school and I hated it. Um, so it is very, very funny to me now that I um, just love running so much. Um, <laughs> I got into it in college when I was studying abroad. I didn't have access to a gym and I kind of wanted to see the city. Um, so I just kind of started running for fun. And then over time, you know, liked seeing like how far I could go and how long I could run for. Um, I ran my first half marathon in 2011 and my first full in 2013. Um, and now I am uh, working towards a Boston qualifier. Awesome. Very cool. Yeah. That's, it's so funny how sometimes the things that we hate end up being yeah. the things that we love. Like, <laughs> I think, you know, uh, it might've been a different experience if I didn't live in Texas, but you know, cross country season, I do not understand why it occurs at the time of year that it does like August late summer is not yep. a good time to run outside yeah. and our practices were in the afternoon so uh that was a hard pass for me yeah it's so i i coach uh a homeschool cross country team uh-huh. and and track team and like prepping for fall cross country is so brutal because you have to run during the summer yeah. in order to be conditioned for for cross country in the fall. And it's like, it's so difficult just to, you either have to be up super early in the morning and deal mm-hmm. with the humidity, or you've got to run late at night and deal with the heat. Like it's, yeah. it's rough. It's so rough. It's, so it's the worst. I, I still hate <laughs> running in the summer. I do it anyway now, but like, I, I mean, I basically just know that I'm going to feel like crap between May and September. So yep. it's rough. It's so yep. rough. So where were you studying abroad? I was in Florence, Italy. Oh, that's so rough. Yeah, it was a really hard time in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Man, all those carbs. I'm sure it was awful. I'm sure the food was just the worst. Yes. Well, that's probably part of the reason why I started running, too, is because I was like, I feel like I'm eating a lot of food and not getting a lot of exercise <laughs> other than walking places. Mm. But definitely uh, had some problematic attitudes toward food at that time, but mm. um, and did not know anything about, you know, fueling for running. But I was just kind of doing like 20 minute jogs and stuff. So nothing too crazy. But yeah, it was a great way to see the city. That's awesome. So 
the the primary reason that I wanted to talk with you is because of uh, let's call it the the difference between eating to focus on performance mm-hmm. and focusing on like either weight reduction. Okay, so that's an awful way to set things up. A couple, <laughs> maybe a decade or or 15 years ago, there was a book that came out called Racing Weight or Race Weight. I forgot. Mm-hmm. It's by Matt Fitzgerald. Yep. Um, and I think that a lot of people didn't really read it, but kind of got attached to this idea of if I'm a certain weight, then I'm going to perform better. Yeah. And from like my perspective, that's putting the cart before the horse. Like, and, and so I was really drawn to, to your post just because it's like, it's the, it's the same way that I feel about nutrition, at least in general, at mm-hmm. least on the surface level, you've got to eat to perform. And if you're focusing on that, then you're going to hit your PRs. You're going to have less injury so on, you're going to have a healthier relationship with food and so on and so forth. So um, if you will, please tell us like your basic philosophy of coaching nutrition. And also, if you will, let's start with that. And then we'll go into the differences between uh, clinical nutrition and performance nutrition and how you separate those out. So, but first and foremost, mm-hmm. what, do you, what do you think? What do you feel about coaching nutrition? Yeah. So uh, for any uh, nutrition coaching, whether it's clinical or whether it's performance-based. Um, I practice from an all-foods fit perspective. Um, so what that means is that any food can fit into somebody's diet, um, unless, of course, you know, you're allergic to it or something like that. Um, but, you know, if there's a food that you want to eat, there's a way that it can fit into your diet. Um, I believe that you can love your food and take care of your body and also be an excellent athlete. So I don't think that you have to pick between um, your health and your athletic performance. Mm. Um, And I think sometimes when you get to like a competitive level, um, there's a level of like, uh, you know, well, I can't worry about, you know, if my bones are strong or if I have a menstrual cycle, like I need to be fast. And so this is how I'm gonna get fast by being as lean as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, I think that it's important for people to fuel for their training and for their body and not else's. So just because your running partner has a certain diet that works for them, um, it doesn't mean that that diet is going to be successful for you. Um, nutrition should always be individualized. And um, I think that people will see the best, the most benefit from um, having a, an approach that's individualized for them personally. Nice. Yeah, that it bugs me when I see like uh, someone within either the sport performance or uh, let's say physical therapy, chiropractic, sometimes even the ortho uh, overlap, where, where all of these kind of professions overlap, and they tend to get stuck on one dietary type. Like, mm-hmm. I know, I, I don't want to say names, but I know of a certain person who's like, keto everything, everything has yeah. to be keto, my practice is this way, I recommend all of my patients or clients or or whatever, go down that route. And, you know, they personally may have had a ton of success with that. And so that's why they're so passionate about it. And I I can totally understand that. But that's like using a hammer for every single job. If you're a handyman, like, I just don't think that's gonna, that's a cookie cutter approach, even if you can be flexible with a ketogenic diet, like, it's just not going to work for some people. And if performance is your ultimate goal, then sorry, it's probably not going to end up too well for most people. So, um, so yeah, that, that totally jives with me. The, the idea of everything should be individualized. Um, that's great. That's good stuff. So how does, uh, how does clinical nutrition and performance nutrition, how do these overlap? Uh, like most dietitians that I know of, are like 100% in the in the clinical setting. So how did you, I guess, not necessarily break out of that, but how do you have a foot kind of in both in both sides? And how does that work? 
Um, so my master's program was a clinical program. Um, so we have like a really heavy emphasis on, um, like practicing in a clinical hospital setting. Mm-hmm. Um, that is, uh, that can vary from, you know, hospital to hospital and like what your specific job responsibilities are. Um, but usually it includes some form of like nutrition support work. So like tube feeding and like feeding people through their veins when they're too sick and their guts don't work so they can't eat. Mm-hmm. Um, we do like some diet educations, a lot of malnutrition screening. Um, honestly, I spend probably 75% of my time trying to convince people to eat more. Um, mm-hmm. So <laughs> a lot of people, when they hear dietitian, they think like food police and like, oh, she's going to judge me for what I'm eating and like she's going to or she's going to give me a meal plan so I can lose weight. Um, And I uh, working in an acute care setting, I do very little weight loss counseling, um, partially because that's not my own personal philosophy, uh, which we'll probably get into a little bit later, but also because uh, it's just not very practical in an acute care setting. And most people, they're sick. They don't feel good. They're at the hospital. So Uh, They really need to be eating more probably than what they're eating currently. Um, And then uh, from a performance nutrition perspective, um, it has overlapping concepts. Like um, the fundamentals of nutrition and biochem are the same, um, regardless of like whether the person is sick or healthy. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, being in performance nutrition, um, you're dealing with people who uh, typically are healthy because they're running, they're active, um, at least like healthy to some extent, some of them are not so healthy. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, so part of it is, you know, again, trying to convince people to eat more, um, getting, uh, helping them see that it's going to benefit them more to meet their needs versus, um, trying to get by on as little food as possible. Um, so that part of it is related. And then also, you know, coming from a clinical background, um, clients that have like food allergies or like digestive issues, um, cardiovascular issues or like diabetes and things like that. Um, that's something that a dietitian is trained and equipped to do that, like, for example, just like a, a nutritionist or somebody that doesn't have like a formal training and certification, like may not have um, the capacity to do because you do have to know a fair bit about nutrition and how the body works to really be able to um, give somebody proper counseling on what will work for them. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, That's, that's another issue that I see with uh, like being in a cult of a specific diet. It's like, no, no, this can address all of your issues. Like, Mm -hmm. no, it probably won't. It probably can't. Um, like, no, 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 no. If you just cut out all your carbs, all of, all of these health problems are going to go away. No, that's not how it works. Like, yeah, kind of have to know that. And I know enough to know that I don't know how to help you there. I need, Mm -hmm. I need to outsource you to somebody who understands those things, who can actually address those things. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a, that can be a tough one for for people who know just enough about nutrition that they're dangerous. Um, and it's super easy to learn a little bit and be like, Oh, well, I don't need to know anymore. This is, this is everything that confirms what I believe. So mm-hmm. this has all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that's one thing that I um, really appreciate about like being a dietitian is that we have to maintain credentials by like getting continuing education certifications every year. So mm-hmm. um, I can't just say like, oh, well, I learned it and I'm good. You know, nutrition science is always a moving target. So we're always learning new things. We're always having a question like, you know, okay, we used to say this, like, is this still accurate? You know, they used to say like, well, you can't eat eggs if you have high cholesterol. And like, now we don't really recommend that anymore. Um, because most people are not that sensitive to dietary cholesterol. So it's just one of those things where like, there's always something that is changing. And you have to be willing to say like, there's so much more that I still need to learn. Um, nutrition is one of those funky areas where like everybody eats. So everybody thinks they're an expert. Um, and it's, it can be like a challenge, especially with like performance nutrition and athletes, um, who are very prone to disordered eating habits and getting into like 
um, a really bad situation with like um, potentially like their food and their mental health, Mm -hmm. um, it can be a challenge to like combat that because like a lot of times like really good solid nutrition advice is not very sexy. (laughs) Like it's not just cut out these 10 things and like you'll be, you know, running marathon PRs every year. Yeah. Um, It's often like way less exciting than that. But, you know, if it works, I think it's better than just like doing something that's trendy. So for sure. Uh, Most of the time people want a quick fix and they want something that's going to, you know, change me tomorrow. Like Mm -hmm. I want to take this pill, wake up and and in the morning, like be completely different. It just doesn't work that way. Like, (laughs) unfortunately. So so what's the best system for athletes? Like when we're when we're looking at how you're like, let's say you get a new client um, and, you know, you're trying to help them. They want to either PR in the marathon or they want to run. Uh, they've never run a marathon before or let's say they're a first time triathlete. Like whatever the case may be, I'll let you kind of pick which scenario, you know, you want. But mm-hmm. um What's like the basic way that you go about helping them? Uh, so, I mean, first of all, you know, I think it depends a lot on the athlete. Like some people need more structure than others. And some people are dealing with different challenges than others. Somebody who is like training for their first endurance event, um, you know, we're looking at like getting them to the finish line, right? We're not looking at like, okay, you're going to blow your last, time out of the water or like you're you know trying to like uh like shave 20 minutes off your marathon time or something like that so uh that's a little bit of a different approach versus somebody who's like a seasoned marathoner or like going for a specific time um Mm -hmm. or like really dedicating a lot to training um because you know higher mileage um more effort like more like structured workouts and stuff like that you're gonna have a different nutrition approach like you're probably going to need more calories um and you're probably going to need to be a little bit more mindful about timing of nutrients and stuff like that mm-hmm. um i don't really uh i don't really recommend like any like um a specific diet um or like um like obsessively like tracking calories or macros or anything like that. Um, I know that's like a very popular approach for a lot of athletes and I have a lot of clients who come and they're very like married to their Fitbit or their, my fitness pal. Um, and they like cannot imagine not tracking anything. Um, Mm -hmm. I do think tracking can be helpful if you genuinely have no idea where you're starting from. So a lot of times with new clients, I will have them kind of track for a few days to kind of give them a baseline Um, I might give them like some targets or have them calculate some targets for like calorie needs, protein needs, carbohydrates and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Usually what we find is that they are falling short on something rather than they're overdoing it. Um, And I think, uh, you know, that can be really helpful to kind of give you a baseline. Um, But long term, I do really emphasize the importance of athletes being able to listen to their bodies um, and use that as a better guide versus like being married to a specific equation or set of numbers. Um, you know, I tend to take kind of an intuitive approach, uh, with my own fueling and training. Um, and Mm -hmm. I also recommend that for my athletes because I think that food should be enjoyable. And I think that fueling needs to be sustainable. Like it can't be something that's just kind of a, you know, well, I can do this for five days a week, but then the other two days I need to, you know, go have fun. Um, I think that like, Uh, within, you know, the framework of intuitive eating, which like in case you're, you don't know, or in case your listeners don't know, um, it's a dietary framework that was created by a couple of dietitians um, in 1995. Um, It's not a diet. It's not a weight loss approach. It's um, based on nourishing your body properly and purposefully embracing a wide variety of foods um, and eating without restriction. So, um, you know, I think that that's kind of the what I would recommend for most people like overall in nutrition. Um, and then with athletes, I think you do also have to kind of take a little bit of an approach of there are specific times during your day when you need to eat certain things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can do that within the framework of intuitive eating. Um, cause it's way more complex than just eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full, which is kind of where a lot of people land on it. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to think about like, 
how this food is going to affect my body and affect my performance and like, um, you know, make choices based on that too. So like, for example, um, a lot of athletes don't eat after a run because, Mm -hmm. uh, their appetite is kind of depressed. Um, that's pretty common when you're running, your body is directing blood away from your gut to the muscles that need it more like your heart and your legs. So, uh, you may not feel very hungry when you finish running. Um, but that doesn't mean that you don't need to eat because we know that, you know, eating within a certain amount of time after a meal is the most beneficial for helping us recover faster, um, so that we can get the most benefit out of our workout so that we can get fitter and faster. So, um, you're not off the hook just because you're not hungry. Um, Mm -hmm. but within that you're making a choice that is meaningful for your body and purposeful fueling, um, which is also, you know, aligned with the framework of intuitive eating. Nice. So yeah, that's, uh, that's for me kind of the, the end goal for a lot of my nutrition coaching clients. Like it's, it starts typically with a little more structure. Like, uh, most of, most of my philosophy comes down to, to the idea that like athletes are way, way under eating. Like they are leaving so much performance and adaptation on the table because they are, they're either in a calorie deficit or they're, or they're, you know, maybe at maintenance level, but like the cost of adaptation is higher than the caloric currency that they're, that they're ingesting. So, Mm -hmm. um, at least for like periods of a macro cycle, like a, a, a big training cycle, like I want you to know exactly what your budget is in the same way that like you have to know how much money you're making monthly so that you can pay rent, so that you can pay your bills, so that you can put stuff into your retirement, so that you can do savings, all that stuff. If you don't know how many calories you're ingesting, Mm-hmm. and you know you're training intensely, then how do you know if you're optimally adapting and recovering and fueling? So I tend to be like a little more structured at, at least during certain times of the year when it comes to their training. But the ultimate goal is to work to where, man, if you're, if you're like excessively structured so much so that it's tyrannical. Like you've got to weigh your food. You've got to track everything. You've got to like, that's not healthy. That's not good in the same, you know, like that's one extreme, the other extreme where you're not tracking anything and you have absolutely no idea. Like that's not useful either. So if you can get to the point where, you know, in general, like there's these guidelines, I'm going to do my best to, you know, shoot for them, but it's not so structured that like, Oh, you know what? I was, I was way off. I'm going to feel awful the rest of the day. I'm going to be, you know, upset because I didn't hit my goals. Like that ends up, you know, you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot, I think. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think intuitive eating, like that's kind of how I do things personally now. Like I, I have in my mind a pretty good idea of like my protein goals, and so I shoot for a certain amount uh, before before time periods within the day. Like I want to get um, like 30 to 40 before my first client shows up in the morning. And then that kind of sets me up for the rest of the day so that if I have like regular lunch and dinner, I'm probably going to be relatively close just because I tend to go a little more protein heavy with my meals. And then I'm going to hit my, my protein goal for the day. And I don't have to track and I don't have to measure or weigh anything to know that I'm coming in pretty close. And as long as I'm consistent, my body's going to be way, way better off that way than if I was not tracking at all, or if I wasn't focusing on that at all. So, um, yeah, I, I think intuitive eating is, uh, it's a, it's a great goal for, for people to work for just because you can't be tracking all the time. Like that's too much, too much structure. Yeah. That's not a good thing. Too much structure or too much chaos. Like you want to be able to kind of work towards the middle, I guess, Mm -hmm. of that. So, Mm -hmm. so, uh, when it comes to, um, 
intuitive eating, you've said that like there's nothing that's off limits. That's something that I think is super important just because um, like when you look at, at behavioral modification, um, when you look at things like the brain, the brain's, I guess, response to like humans want to do things that they're not allowed to do. And like <laughs> we like to break rules. So like setting up rules where th specific foods are off limits tends to result in disordered eating. Is that safe to say? Uh, I, yes, I would say that that's accurate. Yeah. Perfect. So can you, can you tell us a little bit more about, um, like, what do you feel about quote unquote cheat meals? What do you feel about, uh, restricting, restricting specific foods? Like, what does that do to like, I guess, people in general? And then when we're, when you're working specifically with an athlete, like, how can that be, uh, like detrimental, how can that like sabotage your, your ability to train intensely and recover optimally? Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, I'm not really a fan of food rules in general. Um, I think, uh, you know, I, a lot of athletes kind of adopt that, like, Oh, like 80, 20, or like if it fits your macros or whatever, like that kind of philosophy. Um, and it's sort of, um, marketed as like a, oh, this is all inclusive, like you can have whatever. Um, but I think, uh, first of all, I think if you have to cheat on your diet, then it's probably not working that well for you. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, what happens when we restrict foods, um, as you said, you know, that leads to disordered eating patterns. Um, what, it, what it does is it makes that food more desirable. Um, and, you know, we tend to want the things that we can't have. Um, if you put that kind of value on a food, like if you say, I'm never going to eat sugar again, well, I bet you're probably going to start craving sugar. Mm. Um, and what's likely to happen is that at some point you are going to be presented with an opportunity to eat something that you're not supposed to be eating, quote unquote, like according to your food rules. And you're probably going to overconsume it and you're going to eat more than you would have to begin with. Then you're going to feel guilty. And you're going to, you know, swear to never eat it again. And the cycle just kind of repeats itself. Um, mm -hmm. So we see this a lot in, um, like, basically every kind of restrictive diet. Um, when we allow ourselves to have those foods and work them into our diet in a way that makes sense, um, they lose some of that power. So, like, you know, I love ice cream. If I want ice cream, I'm going to eat it. Um, I have a pint in my fridge that I bought a week ago at the grocery store and I keep forgetting I have it and I haven't touched it. Like it doesn't, you know, I'll eat it if I want it, but like it doesn't have any kind of like power over me. I'm not going to go eat the whole pint just because it's there. I'm going to yep. wait until I want it. I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to move on. So mm -hmm. we're taking away the emotional power of those foods and um, we can only do that by letting ourselves have them. <laughs> uh, so it's kind of counterintuitive for a lot of athletes because they think, well, if I let myself eat that, I'm just going to eat it all the time. Um, usually, uh, when they've tried that before, um, they're still ha they still have some kind of a restriction mindset around it. Like, well, I'm going to let myself eat cookies, but I'm only going to eat one. Well, if you don't let yourself have as many as you want, you're never going to get past the part where like that food is off limits. Mm. So it can be really scary for athletes to kind of, or for anybody really to kind of go through that process if they have a lot of those food rules. Um, but ultimately I think that sets you up for a better relationship with food, um, so that you can make decisions that are based on what sounds good to you, what will make your body feel good, what's best for your training versus like what's available to you um in the moment like if you never let yourself have fried chicken and you get fried chicken for dinner you're not going to care that you have to run 20 miles the next day mm -hmm. like even though that may not be the best choice for your body um you're probably just going to overeat that and then you know your run's probably not going to be that great the next day so um i think that's a consideration as well um ultimately i think you know, again, anything that takes you away from listening to your body, like, um, you know, macro counting and stuff like that. Uh, if you run out of macros, like, what do you do if you're still hungry? You know, you mm -hmm. have to break the rules um, mm -hmm. or just be hungry. And if you're hungry, that's a good indicator that you're not eating enough food. Yeah. Um, 
So it kind of like takes the, takes the trust away from your relationship with your body and puts it into like these arbitrary rules that are not usually grounded in very solid science. Yeah, that can be, that can be a tough one. If you're working with like a meal plan or if you're using an app that calculates your numbers for you, then Mm -hmm. yeah, like what do you do? Um, Typically, uh, my athletes don't have to worry too much about that because I'm like, Hey, this is, this is a rough goal. If you go over cause you're hungry, then you need it. Like, don't feel bad about it. This is a good thing. Um, if you've, and at that point, um, this is all like calories that are going into savings that are going to pay for future adaptations. Like this is okay. Um, they can pretty much come from anywhere as long as you're, you know, you're hitting roughly these, uh, you know, these these goals that we have for specific macros. So, but that's a little bit of a side. So, so tell us a little bit, like, how do you prioritize, uh, like, calories, macros? Like, what what emphasis do you place on that when you're working with somebody? Like, do you have rough goals that you're shooting for do you have ranges or is it just like hey like what do you tell them to focus on so uh my priorities for my clients again it varies a little bit based on what they're looking for specifically um but generally speaking we're looking at first and foremost making sure they're eating enough food so i mean that's always going to be priority number one um Mm -hmm. If they're not eating enough, like it does not matter how much iron you get. If you don't have enough calories, like your body is not going to be able to use it efficiently. Right. Um, from there, um, typically I'm making sure that they're eating like a wide variety of foods, that they have a lot of balance in their diet. Um, so they're not eating the same thing every day. Um, they're not like, uh, you know, like restricting certain foods or certain food groups. Um, and that can be something that we kind of work on over time because it's definitely not just like a, okay, now you don't restrict sugar anymore. Just like add that back in. Um, (laughs) takes a little bit more time to work through that typically. Um, I do look at their macros and micros and I do have ranges that I recommend. Um, sometimes I will give those to my clients and say like, Hey, this is what I want you to shoot for. Um, if I have clients who are very, um, triggered by macro counting or calorie counting, um, I will not usually share those numbers. I will talk to them about like making sure that they have like a protein, a carb and a, you know, a fat source and some color with all of their meals. And we'll talk Mm -hmm. about the proportions of what that should look like, depending on what their training load is like. Um, it's not because it's like a secret. I mean, they can look up how to, you know calculate their calorie needs online it's mm-hmm. just that I care a lot more about how their body feels and how their training is going than that they're hitting like a very specific number for me um and part of that too has to do with the fact that we just don't need the same number of calories every day I mean if you run 20 miles today you're going to need way more calories than you would on a rest day mm-hmm. now if you're recovering from your 20 mile run on a rest day you might need more calories than you think you do just because you're not working out Um, but our bodies have different calorie needs from day to day. And so, um, being, uh, too rigid on like finding a, hitting a specific calorie goal or like a specific carbohydrate goal, um, can be kind of like, it can just push them from like one area of disordered eating into another. Mm. Um, so I am pretty sensitive of that with my clients. So like number one, I guess for me is like making sure they're getting enough energy. Um, and then from there, you know, getting a wide variety of foods so that we know that they're getting um, the nutrients that they need from their diet, um, learning to listen to those hunger signals, um, learning to kind of identify how I feel before a run, how I feel after a run, like what impact this fueling choice made on my training. Um, and, you know, depending on like who they are and what they're dealing with, we might be looking at like, hey, I want you to add more like leafy green vegetables because we need to get you more like vitamin E and folic acid, or maybe, you know, we need to add more protein if you like are not eating a lot of it. Um, cause we definitely don't want that either. Um, but again, you know, 
depends on like how they're feeling and um, what specific goals they're training for and what their background with food is too. Gotcha. So are they like keeping a food log or a diary or how do you? Um, yeah, my I have my clients um, keep a food journal for me. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes they will write down like, you know, exact things like the brand or whatever. But I also have clients that just take a picture of the meal and send it to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really just for accountability so that I know what they're eating so that we can talk about changes that they need to make. Um, it's not necessarily so that I, so that they can like have an exact, like, this is exactly what, what you're getting. And this is exactly where we need to be from here. Yeah. One of my, uh, one of my strength and conditioning mentors, um, he's a, a college strength coach and he had the hardest time trying to get his elite athletes to do any sort of like dietary logs or tracking. Like they just, they just wouldn't do it. And so, um, he just made it a rule, like take a picture of your plate before you start eating and just text it to me. And like, that was one of the most useful things that, that he found. Cause then he can, if he needed to like pull that athlete aside at practice and say, Hey, here's, here's your plate. Here's where I want to see some change. Let's, let's, make this adjustment. Let's do this. Let's cut back maybe on this. Let's add this in. Let's adjust things here. And like, that was super useful. So yeah, that's what yeah, I actually kind of like the pictures better because, um, people are often very bad at estimating how much food they're eating. Mm-hmm. Um, they're either way overshooting it or way undershooting it. And so unless you are really measuring out everything, which I don't really think is necessary or beneficial mm-hmm. um the picture i mean it doesn't lie like that's what was on your plate so yep. exactly <laughs> as long as i can tell what everything is yeah <laughs> there you go so can you talk a little bit about uh like the biggest issues the biggest hang-ups the biggest um problems i guess that you come across working with endurance athletes when it comes to their uh their diet or their nutrition uh yes i thought of a few um one is definitely a fixation on weight um and the idea that being lighter means being faster um i have a lot of trouble getting some athletes to eat more because they are convinced that if they eat more they're going to gain weight Mm-hmm. Um, and that that is going to make them slower, mm-hmm. um, kind of along. And then within that, I think also, uh, a lot under fueling is a big issue. I very, very rarely have an athlete that is over fueling. Um, typically if you care enough about your endurance sport to hire a dietitian to help you with your meals, um, you're probably training pretty seriously and, mm-hmm. um, usually if that's the case, you are not overfueling. Um, but everybody always thinks they are. So, um, I have a lot of, uh, I see a lot of people that eat, get into the same like food ruts. They eat the exact same foods all the time, um, which can be a problem from like a nutrient, um, adequacy perspective. And also because it tends to like reinforce a lot of rigidity, like people get very anxious if they can't have like their food and they know exactly what's in it. Mm-hmm. Um, following diet fads, like always looking for that magic bullet that's going to like be that kind of quick fix, like you were saying earlier, um, which does not exist. There is no quick fix that is going to magically make you like, you know, two minutes faster on your tempo days or like suddenly make you like a sub elite marathoner. Like the only way to do that is to fuel like it's your job and train really hard. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and in, on the other hand, like, you know, I do get some runners, mostly people who are newer to the sport, who think that it doesn't matter what they eat because they're running and so they can just like have whatever they want, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, <laughs> again, like you can have whatever you want, um, but certain foods will have a more impactful um, benefit to your training than others. Mm-hmm. Um, and then not eating during running like long runs and competitions. So many people go through a mar- run a marathon on like one single gel. And I just, I, it makes me crazy. Yeah. 
So do you, uh, what type of strategies do you uh, suggest to your clients who are either doing marathon training or who are triathletes that need to, you know, you can't really fuel in the, on the swim, but like, mm-hmm. what do you have them focus on, on the bike and on the run? Uh, so typically the, the general like starter recommendation is 30 to 60 grams of carbs per hour. Mm -hmm. Um, for any run that is longer than about 75 minutes or ride. So like any sport that you're doing for longer than 75 minutes. Um, So I usually will have them start fueling um, maybe about like 30 to 45 minutes in probably if it's a triathlete that's like actually doing a race, then sooner than later, because Mm -hmm. they've already gone through a swim. Right. Um, And then about every like 20 to 30 minutes thereafter. Um, on the bike, it's a little bit easier to use a wider variety of fuel or like in an ultra running setting where you're going pretty slow. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do encourage those athletes if they want to, to use real food sources. Um, sometimes those can be a little bit easier on the stomach um, and they give you kind of some variety in terms of like palatability and flavor. Um, especially and they don't for- have to all be sweet. Yeah, especially for ultra runners or like even slower marathon runners. Like if you're doing more than like a, you know, 430 marathon, mm-hmm. um, you may want to think about adding in like some different flavors um, because you do kind of get that thick gut feeling when you only eat like concentrated sugar for a very long time. Uh, and typically when you're going at that pace, uh, your body is using a little bit more fat as fuel because you're not your heart rate's not quite as high. So, um, you can do that a little bit more efficiently. Um, but for other, for, for marathon runners, half marathoners, um, that are, you know, running at a competitive pace, um, maybe like age group athletes or sub elites. Um, I usually, I, we definitely can use real food. I do do that with athletes and there's a few like different things that you can try to make it a little bit more portable. Um, but if I, I do think that there's like, you know, some dietitians are very like anti-gel and anti-like sports nutrition, uh, like you like sports like supplementation, like, right? <laughs> like yeah. uh, mm-hmm. like goos and like stinger mm-hmm. gels and stuff like that. Yep. Um, and there's certainly like people who don't tolerate them well, uh, but there are a lot of people that do well with them and can handle them. And they're usually much more convenient than trying to eat like a thing of pureed mashed potatoes, like in the middle of a marathon. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that, uh, I think a lot of people tend to forget is sometimes things happen in the middle of a triathlon and you can have mechanical problems or you can just be, you know, not having, not having a good day. You could lose a bottle, you can lose, you know, whatever food or nutrition you had planned. And now you're at the mercy of what's available on the course. Mm -hmm. And that's probably going to be like what some people consider cheap, dirty sugar. And if you don't know how to, if, if you haven't trained your body to utilize that in the middle of a marathon, then you're going to, then you've got to pick, okay, GI issues or just walking, like, mm-hmm. or, or crawling. Like, so that's one of those things that if I know super high level triathletes who are like, why would I train with something that's not available on the course? Like, if I need it, then it's there. Mm-hmm. And then other people are like, no, 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 no. I want, boiled potatoes with salt and I want I want my food and then it's like yeah but if something happens then mm-hmm. yeah I think it's good to to have some digestive resilience and flexibility there where you can kind of handle a bunch of different things and your body's going to know what to do with it yeah you know? well and a lot of people don't really think about the fact that you can train your gut so like if you're very sensitive to like gels and things like that like that's okay but you also have like this whole training block ahead of time where you should be practicing with your fueling and like Mm -hmm. helping your gut learn to tolerate fuel while you're in motion so you know if you're going into a race and you're like oh I'm just going to do this and you didn't practice it beforehand 
um, or you haven't spent any time to like try and increase the tolerance for the amount of food that you can eat, mm-hmm. um, then the issue is not the on-course fuel. The issue is that you didn't plan properly for your race. Yeah. At, yeah. At that point, it's just a stressor that you have not conditioned your body to. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be tough. It's yeah. going to be hard for the body to deal with. So uh, this is a little bit of an aside, but we talked about it a little bit earlier. I'm just curious what your thoughts are on sugar in general. Uh, could you... Is sugar bad for you? I have a lot of thoughts on sugar. <laughs> Good. There's, no. You should have a lot of thoughts. No, sugar is not bad for you. Um, so uh, <laughs> carbohydrate um, is like is basically a a type of molecule that breaks down into um, glucose in your body. That's what your body uses as its primary means of energy. Um, Certainly during aerobic exercise, um, during periods of stress, that's the only source that your brain can use as energy. Um, And like any type of sugar, whether it's like from candy or whether it's from a potato or whether it's from like steel cut oats, essentially like the chemistry like it all breaks down to the same stuff and when it's absorbed into your body some of it like steel cut oats are like bigger molecules so they take longer for your body to digest and absorb which is why it doesn't give you like a spike in your sugar like a candy bar or a lemonade that has like a lot of very simple sugar in it um but that doesn't mean that those foods are bad it just means that they have a they have a kind of a different purpose. Like the, that is what I recommend for athletes to use during competition or pre-competition because it gets into your bloodstream quickly and it's readily available for you to use as energy. Um, I mean, certainly, I don't think that you should like be eating nothing but processed added sugar. <laughs> um, but you know, it also tastes good and it's fun. So like that's a good reason to eat food sometimes too. Like it doesn't all have to be just because it's good for your performance. Yes. Awesome. So yeah, that's and one of by those... the way, it is not addictive, um, <laughs> which goes back to what we talked about before with the restriction and binging cycle. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's that's one of those things that uh, people people are really passionate about. Yes, they are about their thoughts on sugar. And some people are like, no, you cannot have it. It's the worst thing for you. Like, okay, so I listen to to a lot of Joe Rogan podcasts and he's Mm -hmm. like every single time he's like sugar's the worst thing I don't eat any sugar and then I'm like you're eating carbohydrate like there's there's let's call it levels of quality let's say carbohydrate exists on a spectrum but you can't even say that qual that it's a quality spectrum because it's just you can you can utilize a a very quickly digested, highly insulin, insulinogenic carbohydrate for a specific purpose that's actually going to be useful. And that's within that training or competition window. Like that's the perfect time for it. Mm-hmm. Most, most of the rest of your day, you're probably going to be better off going with something that's a little more complex. But at the end of the day, it's all glucose. It's all broken down to glucose. Unless it's fiber, it ends up as glucose. So people that are like so, so anti-sugar, I'm like, man, you're whey protein is just as, if not more, insulinogenic as tons of carbohydrates. So if the issue is sugar causes insulin spikes and that causes fat storage and that's bad for you or whatever, whatever your ideology about sugar is, like – I can give you a bunch of examples of other types of food that aren't sugar that do the same thing. Mm-hmm. So it's well, like, and you know, that's also like kind of a limited view of the biochemistry because yes. like, I mean, if you are not fueled well and you are chronically in an energy deficit, you're already causing like a very high stress situation for your body, which mm-hmm. is making your blood sugar high, which mm-hmm. is causing fat storage because your body does not know that it's stressed because you're purposely underfeeding it versus stress because you're starving somewhere or you don't mm-hmm. have access to food like it all your body processes it the same way yeah. so i mean stress is you, stress yeah if you do that then you're just shooting yourself in the foot you're making it harder for yourself to recover 
um, and you're still getting those negative health impacts, like even though you're staying away from processed sugar, like it's not doing what you think it's doing. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think people, it's just one of those easy things like, oh, well, as soon as I cut out sugar, then my joints started feeling better. And so sugar is obviously inflammatory. It causes all this inflammation. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like it, if you're in a calorie deficit, but you are coming from a calorie surplus, then that's going to reduce a ton of inflammation. Like mm -hmm. if you were eating too much and you cut out sugar, was it the sugar or was it that now you're just not overeating? Like, right. Or were you, you eating other foods that are highly processed and are inflammatory that were then causing that reaction? And now you've switched your diet to include a lot of fiber and whole grains yes. and lean proteins that right. reduce inflammation. And that's why you're feeling better because your diet is full of more nutritious foods now. Kristen, things cannot be multifactorial. Okay. <laughs> it, it has to be one specific thing. Otherwise, it can be more than one thing. <laughs> <laughs> You're crazy. That's that's <laughs> insane. I can't have this conversation with you. <laughs> it's often so complex, right? There's mm -hmm. often more than one thing going on. Like you said with yes. biochemistry, there's a ton of different things all at play all at the same time. Yep. Um, that's, that's crazy stuff. So um, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Please share with everyone uh, your social media handles, how people can follow you, how they can reach out to you if they want to ask you questions or if they want to, to work with you. Uh, yeah. So you can find me on Instagram. My handle is at endurance.nutritionist. Um, and you can also find me online. My website is kristenfantnutrition.com. Um, and if you want, you can email me, uh, kristenfantrd at gmail.com. Awesome. Alrighty, y'all. There it is. So go follow Kristen. Uh, all of like all the posts that that I've seen have been either educational or thought provoking or just like, man, why didn't I post that? <laughs> like, goodness gracious, that's just that's good stuff. So, um, thank you again for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. I'm hoping at some point in the future when this pandemic is has come to a close that we'll be able to meet in person. We're both in Richardson. So yeah, the hood. Um, yeah, it's a good spot. So, um, yeah, I think that, uh, that about covers it. Thanks again. Yeah. Thanks for having me for sure. Alrighty. I'll go follow Kristen and as always stay tuned to next week's episode. Adios.